0: People with disabilities usually send in two bios, one to managers that says, here's what I can do, but they don't say they're disabled. And one that tells the manager that they are disabled. And hmm. they say, we get more views when we get invited into interviews when we don't list our disability.
1: Welcome to the Women on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Sam Sapperstein. April is Autism Awareness Month. So in this episode, I'll speak with the Head of Disability and Inclusion at JPMorgan Chase, Jim Sanaki, about his goals and priorities. And later, I'll be joined by Kim Francis, who was diagnosed with autism shortly after beginning her career at the firm. She's now an active member of the bank's Autism at Work program. These conversations were very meaningful to me, as I have a child on the autism spectrum and constantly think about his future. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Jim, thank you so much for joining our Women on the Move podcast. It's great to have you on.
0: Thank you for being so supportive of this area too, Sam. Thank you very much.
1: So we'd love to start out with a bit on your background so our listeners can hear more about you. Can you tell me about your career background and how you came to run the Office of Disability and Inclusion at JP Morgan Chase?
0: Well, actually, I, I worked for IBM for about 39 years. It's sort of a blur now and I was retired and we moved from New York to Massachusetts and I got a call about August or September of our being up here to consider a job with JP Morgan Chase One of our disability advocates got a hold of me, and it's a funny story because I was at at a pool with my two granddaughters and my wife and my daughter, and Deb Daggett, who's an icon in the disability industry, said that there was this opportunity at Chase, would I consider it? And I said, no, I just retired. I'm not going back. Lo and behold, she said, Jim, just consider it talk about it. So I did. Pat David at the time was head of HR diversity. And I got to talk with her. And the neat thing about Chase was I asked, why do you want to do this? I said, I'm willing to come back, but why do you want to do this? And Pat and John Donnelly at the time were so honest about this. They go, we do a pretty good job with diversity with all the other groups, including women, Black, Asian, et cetera. We just don't know how to do it for disability inclusion. Mm. And I thought that was like completely honest and upfront. And what I ended up doing was as I was talking to Chase, I started building a deck in terms of what I would do if I got here. So when I came down To 270 Park at the time, I brought down my deck and I said, Pat, here's my deck. If you let me do what's in the strategy, I will come in. If you don't, if you have any issues with it, get somebody else. I wasn't going to come down and negotiate with what I wanted to do. And the thing is, that gave me full responsibility and accountability. If it failed, it was all on me. It wasn't the bank. It was an honest discussion everyone was honest with me. The other interesting part is before they brought me in, I had done 16 interviews. Wow. 16, and I did ask, I said, is there something wrong with me? I usually have done five or six. Right. And they said, Jim, this is a global role. We want you to meet everybody. So I did that. Then when I got hired, I did another 16 interviews. And I think it was the right thing to do because I not only got question about what I was going to do by the different leaders. But I also got an understanding what each leader was thinking about. Mm. So that helped me put in perspective what my mission was and what I had to do. And it was the most thorough exercise that I've ever seen. So
1: It sounds it. That's a lot of interviews to get through. My goodness. Were you able to get through with your strategy intact? In other words, did you follow that original plan? You know, Subject to some tweaks along the way.
0: Our society makes disability too complicated. They go into, are you blind? Are you deaf? Are your mobility impaired? Do you have a mental illness? And the idea is that That is really not a way to engage a population where we're trying to normalize people with disabilities. And it's similar to the other groups in in some senses, in terms of being accepted in our society. I like to go back to, let's go back to women and how women had a struggle. And I remember uh, Lori Beer was our first CEO female at IBM
2: Mm, mm -hmm. after
0: a history of 50 years, like what took us so long, right? Think about that. And so what I'm trying to do with disability inclusion is just normalize it in a way where once you get over the initial nervousness about people looking different or someone's blind or deaf, then we can get on with engaging each other and getting to know each other.
1: Jim, tell me about the program and what your main priorities and initiatives are. The overall
0: priority is to make able-bodied people comfortable with people with disabilities. If we start there, and I got criticized for that from my own disability community, by the way, but if we start there, the relationships start to work. Because this is all about relationships. So it doesn't matter who we hire, whether it's someone on the autism spectrum or a person in a wheelchair or someone who's blind or deaf, are they qualified to work here? Let me make that very clear. We don't hire people who are not qualified to work here. And it's not because I'm a mean guy or we're a mean company. It's that you have to have the qualifications to work at an IBM or here or any place you work. That's number one. And if you do, you shouldn't be held back because you have a disability or because you're a woman or you're Black or Asian, et etc. And I keep making those points because that's what all of our groups do together. We try to get over the barriers that affect people who are different. And so that's the the main mission. On top of that, I try to go in and say, well, how do we make people whole? How do I get persons through our doors at Chase if you're in a wheelchair and there's no automatic doors for you to get in? So how do I take away barriers like that? How do I take away steps? How do I take away the barriers for people who are deaf? And I did that with a captioning team. We have a worldwide captioning team that captions for everyone. And those are the people that also help put our captioning on our videos. So. The firm has embraced that with a sizable investment in money and people to get this done. I think we're probably one of the best corporations around that do this with all the tools that we're trying to provide and continue to try to provide.
1: So say more about that. Where do you think the bank has gotten it right in terms of making those investments and why do you think it's put us ahead of others? In terms of being able to service this community,
0: the examples are just illustrative of the leadership. One of the brilliant thing about my interviews, but I got I got to meet all the leaders, and everyone asked questions in terms of what they needed to fill in their knowledge base about people with disabilities. And it was great because it was private. There was no room for being shy or embarrassment. And people could ask anything they want. And I got to make them not only comfortable with me, but comfortable with how I was going to do the work. Like I wasn't coming in here to say, we have to adhere to all the rules of the ADA and we've got to go chapter and verse. And it was nothing like that. It was like, how do we embrace a community with humanity and humility and caring? And we're proud of what they bring to this firm. So that's, that's how this started and that's how this work continues to progress.
1: And so you mentioned some initiatives that you've been pursuing here for employees with disabilities. What are the other things that are top of mind for you now? What would you say some of the priorities are for this year in terms of going above and beyond what you've already put in place?
0: I think recruiting is still a challenge. When I got here, we we had a session with all of recruiting to help them understand how to talk to people with disabilities, how to recruit people with disabilities. And basically my point was, it's the same way you recruit able-bodied people. You just look at the differences that help you bridge that relationship. So if you're, if someone is blind, you figure out how to help that person get into the building or understand what they need, or if they have a service dog, what do we do with that? So what are the nuances about hiring people? Because When they send in their bios, this is interesting. People with disabilities usually send in two bios. One to managers that says, here's what I can do, but they don't say they're disabled. And one that tells the manager that they are disabled. And I asked the disabled people how many, and they all do it. And Hmm. they say, we get more views when we get invited into interviews when we don't list our disability. And so that was kind of telling that the disabled community had to figure out how to block and parry in terms of just getting in an interview. So these are the things that go on in our minds. And the idea is every time we hire a person in this company, if they're able-bodied, We look for people that have 80% of what we need to do the job. And then what a manager does is you teach them the other 20%. Right. Right. We instruct them. Well, that's the same thing with a person with a disability. You call them in with their bio, their rich bio that made them make you inquisitive. Say, let me bring in Jim and see what he's all about. You did it based on the 80% of the resume. And then you had to help me with the other 20%. And once we get over that, and once we get over the etiquette, I think you find that things go along pretty well.
1: So what should able-bodied people know about some of these barriers, some of these struggles for people with disabilities?
0: Well, the barriers are daunting, and I've got to say, I'm not allowed to tell you know how much we spend, but the bank has made a pretty good investment. All the lines of businesses cover our accommodations across the board, and it's all transparent. And that's why we put up the My Accessibility Hub organization, which is now doing accommodations all over the world at various levels, right? We started in the US, we moved to Singapore, we moved to England, now we're moving to the rest of the country. But wherever there's a call for an accommodation, we deliver it. So that's a worldwide effort, number one. Number two is each line of business is responsible for helping folks with disabilities, people who come in on the autism spectrum, or if there's a real estate has been a terrific partner in changing, moving doors, you know, getting rid of manual doors and putting in automatic doors, watching for turnstiles, uh, you know, making sure that the, the structures and buildings are wide enough. So wheelchairs can get in. So everybody's moved on this in the last five years quite well.
1: I love that. I think we all really are very proud of that. So I'm wondering, can you share with us your disability story?
0: Sure. It's kind of a tearjerker, so bring out your tissues if you're if you're ready. But I was 25 years old working at IBM in Manhattan, and I, I rode my motorcycle to work, which was crazy at the time. And I was assistant coach, City College University swimming team. And during the uh, winter break, we took our team to Puerto Rico during one of our sessions as we had a break. So we worked out in the morning and the evening about five to 10,000 meters, and then we got to visit the island and do what we did. So I went body second. I was a lifeguard at Reese Park in Long Island, New York. And I went body surfing and I used to teach at Colgate University, blind kids how to swim. As I put all that together, it was uncanny that I had been in touch with the disabled community as a counselor and stuff like that. I taught blind a blind kid how to swim at Colgate. And I loved it. He was the bravest child I ever met. Never did I know I would end up as a disabled person myself. So during uh, my beach exercise, once I'm body surfing, I took a wave in and did a flip turn to go out again and a wave hit me and I crashed to the beach on Condado Beach and I couldn't get up. So uh, I couldn't get up. I couldn't stand up. I didn't know what the heck happened. And I heard my sister, Jim, are you all right? Can you get up? And a wave hit me again and I turned over. I says, I can't move. So they pulled me off the beach. I went into the hospital and I was on the stretcher for a few hours before they could even treat me. And I said, look, I understand. I said, he said, Jim, you're paralyzed. You broke your neck. I said, look, will I be able to to use my hands if I can't walk, he says, no. So I can't use my hands and I'm paralyzed from my chest down. And I was there in Puerto Rico for about 30 to 40 days and IBM flew me home on a Learjet. I was working for IBM at the time, no cost to me. The funny thing was, as I was flying home, we landed in Bermuda. For, to refuel. So I was talking to the staff. I said, where are we? Are we almost, you know, like, I could talk and stuff. And they said, yeah, we just landed in the Bermuda Triangle. I said, wait a minute, I broke my neck and now I'm in the Bermuda Triangle. Am I ever going to get out of here? Am I going to no. get to NYU? And they laughed and we all laughed. I still had a sense of humor. <laughs> I spent 18 months at the Rusk Institute in New York City on 34th Street. I came in, you know, paralyzed. I came out in a wheelchair and IBM hired me again and said, Jim, you could start one day a week. And I did. I built up my career to I ended my career as a corporate director of diversity communications. I was a media rep. And then Chase called me to do this. I actually said no to the job, as I told you, but my wife said, Jim, if you go back, you could help a lot of people. And I did. But in the middle of all that, I married my wife, Maggie. We're married 32 years. I've got two children, Danielle and Jimmy, and I've got two granddaughters, Natalie and Julia. And so I've lived a full life as I could. My wife is able-bodied. She married me while I was in the wheelchair. We get a lot of duff with that. What? You married them like that? Because it's still not quite, I don't know. I don't want to say acceptable, but people don't know why people do that. Why do you marry different people, right? So we still get that, but we've handled it with a lot of grace and compassion, and that's my history. And I'm and I'm doing this because I genuinely want to help people with disabilities get out of our funk of being disabled. And I think it's one of the hardest things to do. And I'm trying to make it more normalized. And that's why I appreciate what you're doing, Sam, in terms of our work together and this intersectionality play. And you know, and and you know, I'm going to recall reminding our colleagues. Hey, you have disabled people in your communities. Make sure you ask about them, right? Because I hire everybody, Black, Asian. I don't care who it is. If you're disabled and you're qualified to work here, I'm going to try to give you a shot.
1: I just want to say thank you for all the work that you do and really the role model you've been for so many years in a really extraordinary career. That is a very tough story to hear, Jim, but to know what you've done at IBM, at Chase, just in general, in the industry to influence so many people, I think it's just a wonderful accomplishment. I just want to say thank you for that.
0: Oh, you're welcome. But look, I've got to thank the firm because our brand is so powerful that if Chase was going to put our brand against disability inclusion, we had a shot. And I'm so proud to work here with you and our colleagues with this great brand that's making people
1: look at this. So when you think about the last you know, 30 years or so, How have attitudes about disability and inclusion in the workplace changed? How far have we come?
0: I think that it's still a day-to-day thing. You know, you still get the issues around all of our constituency groups. I'm optimistic, but it's still a rough road for people who are different. I think it'll get better, but I think we're going to have to keep working on it.
1: How do you think the COVID environment has changed people's attitudes toward accommodations? Has it? And as we go back... To the office at some point, do you think we will bring with us just any changes that we have made or even changes in attitude?
0: I don't think there's anything good about COVID, but something did happen. People with disabilities could work from home and you've got to work the challenges of transportation getting in and out of New York or wherever we are. Transportation is a bear. And I think people work pretty well at home. They, they probably even work longer at home. Right. That was a boon for people with disabilities. That's also turned our accessibility team into a goldmine of looking at how to get better technology to help people with disabilities as they're working from home.
1: And how do you think we can get more people with disabilities into leadership roles?
0: That's a great question. And people don't see disabled people as leaders. Inherently, I think we are because we get up every day with a deficiency. We lost our hearing. We lost our legs. We're paralyzed. But yet we go to work, use transportation. We worry about crossing Manhattan streets, right? Which is a nightmare for everybody. And yet you're out there, you're brave enough to go out and tackle the unknown. That's leadership qualities. We'll always have to prove ourselves because of the deficiencies that we have physically, whether it's losing a limb, an arm, an eye. I don't have a choice to stop. That's not me. You don't have a choice to stop. That's not you. And that's what leaders do. Nine people told me no, not to do this job. And I said, you're crazy. This is a great opportunity.
1: We're so glad you did. And I think you're right. We have to highlight what leadership looks like. It looks like many different things in many different forms and people and backgrounds. And the more we see those role models, I think the more we're just going to lead to more inclusivity in the future. So I'd love to talk to you about April being Autism Awareness Month. And I want to learn a little bit more, have you tell our listeners a little bit more about the Autism at Work program. How did the program originate and what does it do now?
0: Well, actually, the Autism at Work program, it started as a Delaware p- pilot with a handful of employees in 2015. Now we have over 200 employees on the autism spectrum in over 40 different jobs across nine countries. And so that was great. And the neat thing about autism is that they could probably outperform able-bodied people in similar jobs. When I learned about that, I go, this is great to know. It's sort of like an Olympian who you didn't think was an Olympian, right? Their ability to concentrate and and process data in some jobs is terrific. And we have one person on the autism spectrum that I know of that is a vice president in Europe. So we know that's possible. But now we're seeing the playing field change And the split is roughly 60% IT jobs and 40% non-IT jobs. So the autism team does a fine job in figuring out where to place people and almost ensuring their success. But we also have challenges with that too. I think we gotta look at the glass has full. And I think the tolerance of society is getting better. I don't know that we'll ever get over the issues that we're we're fighting.
1: The Autism at Work program is really important to me. It's very personal for me as I have a son on the spectrum. And although he's very young still, I'm constantly thinking about his future and what he'll be able to do and really where he'll be accepted, frankly, and what kind of work environment will be for him. So I really admire this program. I hope more companies adopt this kind of thing so that we can provide more opportunities to folks on the spectrum going forward.
0: I think it's one of the the better programs that's had you know worldwide support. And I'm not surprised in terms of the success of the program because of the skill set that we've been able to uncover with people on the autism spectrum. And the point of disability inclusion, I think is that there's good in everybody if you look for it. If you look for the talent, if you look to work with people, I think there's goodness there. And we've just got to get over our own personal biases and fears. The autism area is the rock star of disability inclusion because of the findings that we have learned about their brilliance in terms of certain jobs.
1: I want to follow up on one thing you just said there too. Do you think there's a fear that able-bodied people have in terms of saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing, um, just not getting it right when it comes to interacting with colleagues with disabilities?
0: I personally think that's true. I don't fault them for that. It's like when I go out to a store and a kid walks and stares at me and the mother or father goes, don't look, don't stare, don't, you know. It's all about that. You know, I'm, I'm a sign of wonder sometimes. Who's that guy in that wheelchair, right? So I understand that. I think it's my responsibility to make able-bodied people comfortable with me because I can't get my work done if I don't do that. If I can't help you understand me and make you comfortable with me, then I'm not doing my job as an executive or as a human being, because my my mission is to help all of us on the same page. And once you understand that, you have a fast friend.
1: So you've used this four A's framework, and I would love it if you could explain what those mean and refer to.
0: So accessibility is the top one. And with accessibility, we're really talking about technology. Can people at this firm and any other place engage in our infrastructure, basically, you know, writing letters, communicating on our systems, all that kind of stuff. So that's extremely important for the financial institution that's a bank. The other part is attitude, and I'm mixing them up there in no order. Attitude talks about what's the firm's purview over accepting people who are different, and that includes Black, Hispanic, women, anybody else. How do we embrace people who are different, and how do we think about them as becoming leaders, if you will? And then there's the assimilation. The assimilation is, do we have a culture in the firm and a management community that embraces people who are different, not just people with disabilities? And if there's a gap in talent, How could we bridge that gap with an accommodation, with learning, with one-on-ones, with a mentor, with a sponsor? So the four A's in that way put us in a place of equity. But that doesn't mean that the person who leverages those four A's, you're qualified to work here. And once you're qualified to work here, we're going to try to help reduce the barriers that you can't navigate because of your condition or whatever you have.
1: So Jim, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I really admire the work that you do. I'm really proud that you're my colleague, and I really just can't wait to keep doing more together.
0: No, thank you. About three years ago, a mother of a child with a disability wrote to me after seeing some of our progress. And I get so many people thank us. So this mother wrote to me and she told me that her child had a disability And in one of our ink magazine pieces, there was a picture of myself sitting in the wheelchair with my service dog, Veronique. When she read the story to her son, the little boy said, Mom, I see this man in the wheelchair with his dog. Does that mean I can work someday too? That is still, I'll never forget that. I try to tell that all the time because she says, my son now has some hope that he could do more than be home in his wheelchair. So what this firm is doing in all the work that we're doing across the board is giving children hope that probably thought they didn't have a chance. And I can't call that. But when people tell me that, I've got to share that because we're doing more for those who are coming up behind us than those that are ahead of us.
1: Well, thank you. That really makes a difference.
0: Well, thank you for having me.
1: So Kim, I want to turn things over to you now. Thank you so much for joining us today and our Women on the Move podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you for having me. It's very exciting to be here. So you joined JP Morgan Chase as an analyst in 2016, you've been promoted to associate and now to senior associate. So congratulations already on a great career here. Would love to hear about your background and how you came to work at the firm. Thank you for that.
2: It's actually it's quite a bit of a kind of messy CV before I came to JP Morgan. I always did well in education, so I went to the London School of Economics, I got my degree, and somebody said, oh, you know, you go to a good London university, and somebody expects you to walk straight into a high-flying career in banking, finance, law something like that, that is the expectation of you. And I'd already decided whilst I was at university that something like banking or finance would be a career that it was out of my reach. I found a lot of interaction with people really challenging. I found building relationships really challenging. And I just went, there's a lot of that involved in those careers. it's not something I ever want to do. I don't want to put that pressure on myself. I came home to, home for me is the New Forest, which is a national park on the south coast of England. And I kind of set about finding a job rather than a career. So I'd done some waitressing whilst I was at university, had a go at becoming a restaurant manager, had a go at being a recruitment consultant. And in the end, somebody whilst I was working in a restaurant, watched me calculate their bill and mm. said, if you can do maths like that, why don't you work in a bank? By that point, I was kind of fed up with trying different jobs and none of them working out. And I was like, maybe maybe I'll revisit this idea. I'll come back to it. So I looked at what was local to me. And just down the road, I discovered that J.P. Morgan had a huge campus. And I decided there and then that was where I was going to work. That was, I was completely single-minded. I want to work at J.P. Morgan. I got the understanding that it was operations and technology. So it wasn't really sales and kind of really high-profile front office stuff that goes on. And I thought that could suit me a lot better. It's much more my style. I phoned the recruitment team in the Bournemouth office and they went, have you ever worked for a bank? And I went, well, no, I've just walked out of university like two years ago. She said, okay, go away and get like, get some other financial related experience. Come back in a year and we'll see what we can do. I found another bank in the local area that were taking on like short-term contract staff in like a data entry role. And a year later, I phoned the same person back and went, I've done what you said. Can I have a job now? She was slightly taken aback because I had very literally done what she said. She went, Oh, well, I have a short contract role, like similar to what you've been doing in the other bank. So if you want to come and give it a go, you can like come and have an interview. I did. Somebody said, how's your Excel? I went, okay, I want to learn more. And they went, you'll be fine. You
1: seem bright. Somebody took a chance on me, essentially. Well, I love your persistence and the fact that you did do those things and that you came back to the same person and said, here I am. I'm back again. So well done. I'm really glad you did that. So tell us about your current role and what you do now.
2: So now project manager in ops transformation. So I work on one of the systems that focuses on our security settlements. We work on the back end of that. We look at improvements to that. We work with users of the system to work out what they would like the system to do and spend a lot of time partnering with technology to make that happen and prioritize the right items, make sure that resources are allocated in the most effective way. It's a million miles away from anything I ever thought I'd be doing, but I really love it. I find it really fulfilling and really enjoyable.
1: Well, you've been here now for five years and again you've received two promotions so you've definitely been successful already. I'm wondering what you think allowed you to excel in this environment.
2: From myself, I would say I'm persistent as you you may have already guessed. The biggest game changer for me that's made JP Morgan somewhere I could excel as opposed to anywhere else is having supportive managers and having managers that have not been put off by some of the things I have struggled with as a result of autism been willing to have open conversations about those things, offer me some guidance. And sometimes it's not as a physical, reasonable adjustment, a change in the environment. Sometimes it's just about having someone you can talk to. And also nobody has ever looked at me and said, kind of as an analyst or an associate and said, as an autistic person, this is it for you. I've always had encouragement to, write, what's next? Where do you want to grow? Where do you want to develop? People are always wanting to have those conversations and pushing those conversations.
1: So, you were diagnosed with autism when you were 24, had already started working here. Can you tell us what that was like to receive a diagnosis like that at that age? Life changing, like
2: in a very confusing way because autism has some stigma attached to it, as all disabilities do. There's a lot of stereotypes surrounding autism and the things I'd seen on TV, you kind of see the Rain Man thing, that kind of thing didn't fit with how I saw myself or anything like that. To some extent, it was quite confusing, but actually by the time I'd waited to kind of wait times we have in the UK for an assessment, by the time I got there, I was utterly convinced that a diagnosis was something that I wanted and I needed because I was able to use it as a tool To understand myself, to understand why I had struggled in certain areas, to stop beating myself up internally about things I'd not done so well previously, because I now understood why I struggled with those things. It took a, a while to adjust, but ultimately it has completely, utterly changed the way I see myself, the way I present myself to the world and how I look at my career and what I am capable of in my life.
1: That is so powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's beautiful to think that you can sort of give yourself permission now to feel certain things, to understand certain things about yourself. But I love what you said about the skills that you really want to bring to the table now and the things that you know you're good at. So thank you so much for that. You know, I'm curious, how did you approach talking to your boss at the time when you had this diagnosis? What was that conversation like? I was terrified
2: beforehand. Um, I'd just come into this huge organization, but also I was really enjoying my role. It was, I knew it was somewhere I wanted a long-term career and where I wanted to stay in the long term. And you have that apprehension of, am I about to tell them something that's going to ruin all this for me? Like six months in, this is going better than any job I've had since I've left university. Am I doing the right thing? It's a big conversation. As soon as I said it, I was hugely relieved. It was like, oh, this is off off my chest. I've I've got over that hurdle. Sometimes just the anticipation of the moment is such a big deal. Mm -hmm. And my manager actually said, okay, cool. I thought there might be something else going on. So I'm I'm glad you've told me what it is. And I was like, okay. So I wasn't ever hiding anything. That's like (laughs) good to know. It breaks the ice. And it was just a question like, what do you want to do with it? What do you want me to do with it? Do you want help with this? Like, and I think he said to me at the time, he's like, I don't know what to do here. I don't know what the protocol is. The Autism at Work program, we weren't aware of it at the time, but he said, you know, I'm willing to go and research and find out what's out there, what we can do for you. So like, leave it with me and I'll go away and come back. He mm. went away and did a lot of research about autism off his own back, which
1: was really wow. helpful. Yeah.
2: And yeah, referred me to kind of like HR and occupational health and all those services we have in place.
1: And how did that change your work experience? Were there things that came out of that that were different?
2: The first thing for me was that it was a bit of a safety net. In previous roles, I'd had kind of criticism from managers and colleagues that my communication might not have been great, or that I misunderstood things, or I didn't take instruction properly. It felt firstly like a bit of a safety net that if anything like that happened, we'd be like, okay, this is why we can talk about it and understand and improve on it. Yeah, secondly, it was just... As as Jim's already said, the firm puts a huge amount of resource behind this. I was able to have an appointment with the doctor in the occupational health team who walked me through suggestions of reasonable adjustments. Shortly after, the autism at work team hosted an event on campus in Bournemouth. And it was my manager that said to me, like, I really think it would be helpful for you to meet another autistic person. You should go. And I was like, no, no, I'm not sure. Like... I'm nervous about that. Yeah, I went and I met another individual at the firm. And for me, that was huge because I was like, there are other people here. There are other people here doing this, making a success of this with what I have. Mm-hmm. And for me, the community that that Autism at Work program provides is the real game changer.
1: Oh, I, I love that. I can imagine. If you were to talk to folks who have not disclosed that to their managers in their workplace, what would you tell them? And how would you help them get comfortable with that?
2: I always find this a really challenging question because I tend to find when you talk to people with autism about this, you tend to be encountering people who have had negative experiences with other employers. And people quite often come to you and say, oh, but I've done this before and this this negative thing has happened. So I just do all I can to share that message. We as JP Morgan, and it's the power of that brand, we are out there. We are leaders in this. JP Morgan says... This is okay. There's a huge amount of power in that. I get to go to a lot of events with the National Autistic Society in the UK. And again, just sharing that. And a lot of people are like shocked. It has a huge amount of power to say there are large financial services, technology firms out there who say this is a positive thing.
1: Well, I want to say neurodiversity and of course, other types of diversity really to us is a competitive advantage. We want that. We want that diversity of skill and of background and of thought. So for us, I think through and through, uh, wherever you go around the world, that is how we feel. And I'm really happy to hear about your experience when you were talking to your boss about that. Also, I'd love to hear what you think about talking to parents with autistic children. How do you talk to them about the futures that they could envision for their kids? As a
2: child, I didn't know I was autistic. I had none of that knowledge and I think none of the stigma that maybe these parents find is attached to that. I kind of grew up without that. I still had the struggles, but I didn't have the label that brings that. Again, I just wanna share the message that there are so many firms out there now that are saying autism has a competitive advantage maybe not in every job, go out and look at all the firms and imagine in 10, 15 years time, this movement is going to gather momentum. At the moment, there's a small handful of companies doing this. But every time we go to a conference or we go to an event, more firms come to us and say, how do we start this? How do we get involved? And I'm like, so excited to see what that landscape will look like as that gathers momentum.
1: I look forward to that future too, especially as more sectors Really, have that understanding and start to embrace people with these kind of capabilities. You know, I'd love to be able to talk to my son as he grows up and say, look at all the things that are open to you, and here are examples of people doing this. You know, the research shows that males are more likely to be diagnosed on the spectrum. But I think what that means to us is that we have to keep in mind women are also affected by this. And so I would love your perspective on this. You know, when you talk to folks and they think, how are you on the spectrum? You know, you're not male. What do you say to them?
2: This is a challenge I think everyone with autism has, because the thing about autism is is it's largely invisible. You don't have people look at you and know that you are different in some way. You have to tell people, well... How does an autistic person look? Right. Like, wow, wow. What does, what does it look mean? like in your head? Um, sorry, I don't match that. We've never met. So, you know, that might be why. I get very frustrated at the way in history gender has been overlaid to autism. I think there's a lot of new research coming out now that would suggest that there are many more females than we've realized. A lot of scenarios like parents getting their children diagnosed and then realizing that they themselves are on the spectrum. right? Um, so a lot of women getting diagnosed later in life. And I find that that's really quite sad because these people are not then able to access resources that may have helped them in other stages of their life. At some point in history, gender was overlaid to the diagnosis. And it's taken a very long time for that to be challenged. It's definitely progressed in the last few years. There's lots of great research coming out from female autistic researchers are really delving into this area. So it looks very promising in the future, but I just want to see that again, gather momentum and move quickly to the place that it should be.
1: Thank you for that. I think you're totally right. So Kim, as you continue with the Autism at Work program, what else would you like to see from it? You know, where else do you think we could take it as a firm to help more people?
2: The growth I have seen is so exciting to me. I just want to be in that position where I can go out there to the the events I go to and and talk more about the jobs that are here and say, you shouldn't be put off. Being autistic shouldn't put you off because if you have the skills and the aptitude to do that job, it's the right job for you, regardless of whether you are autistic. And I think the team do a fantastic job at getting people into the right roles and the right teams just think we just should continue to spread the message across all managers. I don't ever want there to be a people manager within JP Morgan who would be apprehensive about taking on someone with autism or any disability really. I'd love to see people have the confidence across the board. Let's just keep spreading the awareness training and spreading that message and getting people excited about it.
1: I think you're totally right. The manager piece is so critical to us. Whether you currently manage someone with a disability or not, you may, you should, you should be open to it. And so really getting that word out to every manager is key, especially in a big organization. Kim, thank you so much for spending time with us, sharing your experience. It is so hopeful what you're describing. Again, I'm so happy to know that you've had such a thriving career here, and I look forward to seeing where you go in your career.
2: Thank you very much. It's been a really exciting conversation to be part of.
1: I wanna thank both Jim and Kim for their willingness to share their own personal experiences. I'm so motivated by their perseverance and by the skills that they bring to their roles. I'm also very proud of the standard that JP Morgan has set in embracing people with disabilities. I hope more companies and managers continue to recognize the talents that people with disabilities can bring to the workplace. The mission of Women on the Move is to help women in their professional and personal lives. Our goal is to introduce you to people with great ideas, inspiring stories, and a passion to make a difference. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe so you won't miss any others. For JPMorgan Chase's Women on the Move, I'm Sam Saperstein. JPMorgan Chase Bank N.A. is a member of the FDIC.